G'day, Tim here with a message from our podcast sponsor, Arcterix. We are explorers and Arcterix have been working together for years now. We love their commitments to the environment, their diversity initiatives, and their hardcore, great-looking gear. What I want to tell you about is their Arcterix Winter Film Tour. Uh, they've got two short films, Maven by Divya Gordon, which also features Kate Donald, a regular We Are Explorers contributor and gear reviewer, and there's Convergence by Taylor Benny Fall. Both films shine a light on skiers and snowboarders in the backcountry in Australia, uh, what makes them feel at home, how it's special to them. And what they do is they have the filmmakers, the cast and crew on stage for special Q&As. They talk about the process of making films in the backcountry, you know, up in the mountains, uh, the boundaries they're pushing, and basically gives you a bit of behind-the-scenes look to these gorgeous films. Uh, tickets are $17.30, and it's touring throughout July. They've got basically all of the ski resorts, Buller, Hotham, Falls, Jindabyne, uh, Canberra, Threadbow, Bright for screenings, as well as Melbourne. Uh, so if you're near the snow, if you're heading down, uh, if you live near there, definitely go and check out one of these film screenings. We'll have info in the show notes uh, and on the We Are Explorers events calendar. Cheers. Hey guys, I'm Tim. I'm the publisher of We Are Explorers and welcome back to the We Are Explorers podcast. This is your space fortnightly to get mentor inspiration cool people and chats with people from the outdoor community in Australia and New Zealand. Just before we get started on the episode, I'd love to encourage you to hit the follow button, give us a review, and to jump on our socials and comment and interact with the, the content. It really helps us out. This week, I'm really excited about the chat I had with Dr. Kate Grarock. Kate is a contestant on Alone Australia. So we talked about that as much as we could, but we also talked about her life as in the outdoors. So She's been into bushcraft since she was a kid. She wasn't allowed in the local scouts because they didn't allow girls at the time, but she jumped in into the Navy and spent five years in the military before becoming an ecologist and getting a PhD. So she spends time in Outback Oz, discovering new plants and animal species, does heaps of ultralight hiking, and has a YouTube channel. She is a lovely person, really excited, really stoked to share the story, and really thrilled to be part of the alone adventure so we don't know where kate places a few episodes are out now but really excited about her journey and it was really great to chat so without further ado let's get to it so firstly i'd like to acknowledge that i'm on the lands of the Camaragal people a clan of the Darug tribes and i acknowledge their elders past present and future sovereignty was never ceded what lands are you on kate I'm on beautiful Ngunnawal country and I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and I want to acknowledge the beautiful contribution that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people have here in the ACT. Fantastic. Thank you. So you're a contestant on Alone Australia, challenged to take on the Tasmanian wilderness, isolated with just 10 items of your own and your own skills to survive. But let's wind it back. You left school and jumped into a five-year stint in the Navy. How did those years shape who you are today? Oh. Good question. (laughs) I guess it rings true to that sense of adventure that I've always had in me. And I grew up in a small country town in South Australia and I guess I saw the military and the Navy as a way to get out of that town and have this wild adventure. And so 
I think that in itself was a huge step for a 17-year-old kid to be thrust into military training and out at sea by the time I think I was 19 or even younger, 18. Yeah, I think it has shaped who I am. I definitely realised that that wasn't for me and I wanted to follow my passion of environmental science and have a more nature-focused of my career. But, yeah, it was a lovely start to my childhood. (laughs) End of childhood. Yeah, I was surprised because I just assumed that you would have been in the army given your your passion for terrestrial landscapes. So what kind of drove you towards the Navy? I think it was just some very smart marketing at the time. It was like the position was called a marine scientist. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a scientist and I love the ocean. So who, wasn't want, didn't, who didn't want to be a marine biologist in like the 90s or whatever it was? And like, yeah, the job was good, but it wasn't quite, you know, that that strong environmental focus that I was looking for. Yeah, I feel with marine biology, it's almost one of those careers like astronaut or fireman that people, it's, it just seems to be one of the 10 careers that you can do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you actually meet someone that does it for a living, you're like, whoa, <laughs> you must be really good. <laughs> totally. You're an ecologist now. You've, you've studied and you're a, a doctor and you said you're not keen to go out and kill wildlife because you work so hard to protect it. So I guess what does fueling yourself from the land look like and how does your role as an ecologist play into that? Yeah, I guess, you know, I've spent a career now looking after Australia's native species and working really hard to try and get people to care. And the last thing I wanted to do is go on TV and be eating those wildlife. So I definitely beefed up my plant skills and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and like, you know, it it did provide limitations, but also without giving too much away, you know, that environment was very challenging and I'm really excited to watch what other people got up to in terms of how they procured food and what they ate. Yeah, it's actually probably been one of the biggest questions we've received when talking about the show. Does that apply to fishing as well, your approach there? I don't have a problem with eating fish, so that was definitely something that I did do while I was out there. Yeah, fair enough. I saw, was it Devil's Snare? the plant you were having nectar from on your YouTube? Oh. Devils something. It was the little red flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain devil, that's it. Yeah. Oh, that stuff's amazing. Yeah. Love that. And you've worked a lot with introduced species. So how do your thoughts evolve around that? I guess it's just, I think we're very easy to point the finger and say that animal's doing the harm and, you know, not be that reflective on our own practices, you know, like land clearing, say, for farming animals or subdivisions it all has an impact and it's very easy to point a finger and say the carp has ruined the murray or introduced bird is chasing all the natives out of nest hollows but really we've cleared a heck of a lot of old growth trees and I would argue that that also has a huge impact and I wish we could see that more clearly and accept that. Yeah, people like to scapegoat things like cane toads and ignore the the destruction we're doing. Absolutely. Totally. And I guess what drives you to share science with others and highlight the threats to our environment? Where did that come from? That's a great question. I guess I feel like if people were more connected to nature and, you know, had like one tenth of the love that I have, I guess, for nature, by fostering that love of nature, you then care for it and you want to protect it and you want to make sure it's not getting trashed and we're not heading in perhaps a wrong direction with looking after our environment and living sustainably. So, I mean, this experience has only deepened that. Living in one place and seeing the direct impacts of my actions was profound and it really rung home the impacts that I must have in my normal life so much more than just eating a few (laughs) shrubs and things like that and burning a bit of firewood. That was a huge learning curve for me and I actually found that quite difficult to see firsthand the impact that I was having on a natural place. 
Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, I think the whole leave no trace ethos, people think, you know, I can go wherever because I'm not going to have any impact, but it only took probably a few days for you to see the results of you staying in one place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You even just like start to make little tracks, you know, and I know that's probably not that damaging with, you know, soft sort of soled shoes, but yeah, it's shocking how quickly you can make an impact on a place. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to hear, especially... I do some off-track hiking and I'm always, even with We Are Explorers, when we talk about off-track hikes, sometimes I'm very cautious of how much can we do this because there's a finite amount of people who can go before it becomes not off-track anymore. Yeah, it's a delicate balance too and then you don't want to send the wrong person down there but you don't want to be this gatekeeper for this information and, you know, just this elite group that gets to access these places. So, yeah, I, I struggle with that too. Mm. And with the sharing that you've been doing on your your YouTube channel and your Instagram, I guess, how do you find people engage with that? It's incredible, really. I I guess I started it just to share, you know, with some friends and uh, just a bit of a laugh, I guess, something to do in COVID, really. And then, you know, that feedback that I get from people saying that I've helped them develop certain skills that's allowed them to do bigger hikes or just encourage them to get out there. And that to me is just pure gold and motivation. So that's been just an absolutely beautiful part of the YouTube channel. That's awesome. It's kind of the one of the positives of social media. It's incredible. The, the community on there, you know, touch wood so far, is just, it's very supportive. And you look at Twitter these days and you're like, oh, <laughs> compared to YouTube, it's like, oh, wow, thanks so much. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, Twitter's a, a fool. <laughs> With filming the experiences out there, was that a, a learning curve? Did you find that took away from the solo hiking experience? Definitely. Maybe I underestimated the how hard that would be. Whew. Yeah, because, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of film my YouTube videos, but now suddenly you're, like, you're filming a, like a documentary for SBS and you're like, oh, gosh. Yeah, it just ups the ante and the first period of time, you that kind of drop shock happening and then you're also trying to document what you're doing and getting different camera angles so it looks cool. But I found it incredibly overwhelming in the early days and I remember just thinking, I wish there was a camera crew just following me around. That would be so much easier. But in the end, I actually grew to sort of love it because it gave me this beautiful focus every day. It's like, okay, well, today I'm going to do this and I'll, I'll set up a little shot here. And, yeah, I found it quite enjoyable by the end. I love that because I think a lot of people love to just whenever they see anyone talking to a camera, there's this kind of influencer stigma. And I think that's not quite fair when people are engaging with the community. Like, obviously, they have to film it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And yeah, it is still embarrassing. Like, because most of my hikes I do on my YouTube channel are solo. But whenever I take a friend, even I'm like, well, hang on, I'm just going to be a bit of a wally in the over here. And I'm just going to talk to the camera for a minute. And they're like, yeah, okay. Still feels weird. My friends, my brother's always like that. And then when I show him the video, he's so stoked. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. They love it at the end. They're just like, oh, oh. <laughs> I guess with, with the, all the solo hiking, you know, have you ever got into any sticky situations? <sighs> I was trying to think of a good one there. But, I mean, probably my scariest situation was actually on a group hike. I, I took three of my friends out. And, yeah, we just got separated at one stage and I just – it just scared the willies out of me, I think, because I was like, I'm responsible. I've brought these people in and, you know, some of them don't have a map. They don't have any navigation skills whatsoever. Mm. And that suddenly dawned on me. And so, yeah, that was really scary. But luckily it all came back and we all met up back where we sort of, I don't know, somehow. <laughs> Apart from that, I think solo, I've been very lucky and 
I guess I'm, I'm a huge planner and I, I guess that was a scary part of going into it alone. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was allowed to hunt and that until sort of very, very late in the game or procure food. And so that was, I found that challenging because normally on a hike I'd be like, okay, there's a water point here, there's a water point here and I'll like go online and research the wazoo out of it. But I just couldn't do that. Yeah, it's part of the... I think talking about the show alone, we've been thinking, you know, I don't even know Tasmania that yeah. well. Um, so it's a challenge. And there's all those things you're like, oh, wow, am I just going to like be annihilated by leeches everywhere? Like, and, you know, just trying to think through how am I going to cope with that? And I've done some day hikes in Tassie, but never any overnight. So it was a big learning curve. And with your career in ecology, do you feel that informs your survival skills? Do you think it informs it more than your hiking or is it a an even split? Oh, I guess it'd be probably a little bit more on the hiking side because I guess I feel very comfortable outdoors. Being, I guess, an ultralight hiker, I tend to take not many things. So I think I felt pretty comfortable going in in that regard and that was nice. Like I knew in the middle of the night if I heard a weird noise, I could probably control those, you know, those little, you know, the scary thoughts that pop in your head and I guess I was pretty confident with that. So that was very helpful. But then definitely like, you know, the food procurement was really helpful because of my ecology background and talking. I, I That was the other thing I did is just use my brain's trust. So I sort of used the guise of my YouTube channel to quiz all these people about, oh, like I'm thinking of doing some, you know, survival-y stuff on my YouTube channel because we're not allowed to tell anyone we're going on it. And that was really powerful, just using that network of people that I've met and know and, yeah, getting their input was amazing. That's really cool because I was wondering how much you were into survival versus ultralight. And obviously ultralight in many ways is so different to the, you know, carrying an axe into the bush kind of approach. Yeah. So was that quite new for you, most of that? I guess so. I mean, I've always had an interest in that. Like, you know, I've got a video where I make like a bow drill fire. and I, I just, I love those skills. I think that of survival, I've always been interested in survival stories and movies and, but well, I guess I had I had the basic skills. You know, I've never tried to procure food solely for me to eat. That's the big crunch, right? That's the show. Like, it's slow starvation, really. Yeah, I guess just around food, like if everyone went out and just took all their food from the wild all the time, we'd probably be in a bad place. So it is, you have to be careful. With, with your ultralight hiking, I saw your base weight was under five kilos. Yeah, sometimes. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love, I love, I think it's because I've done a few longer trails and that's where it's really fun to like weigh your undies and go hardcore on the light stuff. But, you know, with my little daughter now, I started to do a few hikes and I'm, I guess I'm pairing that back a little bit. But yeah, I can get down to about five kilos. I'm 10 kilos over here. I took my, <laughs> it's, it's better than it used to be. Exactly. But I took my girlfriend on our first overnight hike together the other day and the pack weight went up because she kept collecting rocks that she liked. <laughs> so a few, a few sacrifices there yeah I mean that's the, that's the thing I think I, I I think a lot of people you see it um they go on that ultralight journey and they you know counting the grams about everything and then suddenly you're like well I wouldn't mind just having some wine and cheese at the top of that cliff and that could be a really nice experience so those little items start to sneak back in after a while which is just the enjoyment it's, there's horses for courses you know like gram counting versus like more enjoyable hiking what kind of took you on that ultralight journey Yes, I decided to do a 700k hike down the New South Wales coast. So it starts in Sydney all the way along the coast down through Mallacoota in Victoria. And I just thought, well, don't want to be carrying too much stuff on that hike. So that sort of just started, yeah, the upgrading of gear. And then I guess 
you know, once I sort of started to get a decent job and not be a uni student anymore, I started to, you know, be able to invest in some of the really cool techie gear and, yeah, it just ran away with itself. <laughs> well, walking that far, like I've hiked some of that coastline yeah. a much shorter stints. How did that hike go? That sounds amazing. That was, I think, a, a huge pivotal moment for me because I'd never done anything like that. It was scary. And then, you know, there's that stigma. Once again, I, I guess I'll, I'll talk about a bit, but of being a woman and, you know, you don't want to be that silly girl that gets lost or tries to do something that they can't achieve. And there was that added pressure of that. And I've seen that in many, many of my female hiking friends. And so there was a weird pressure that I guess we put on ourselves because we don't feel like we're welcome in that space. But yeah, it was, I think at the end of it, I realized I was just like, well, it gave me a confidence in every other part of my life because, you know, you're sitting in a meeting when someone's being a bit of a rat bag and you're just like, yeah, I don't know if you could hike 700 Ks and whatever. Like, you know, it's just not a big deal anymore. It's just like, I know, water off a duck's back maybe. I love that. I love that bringing, you know, your natural experiences. I do a lot of running and sometimes I think like I can get through that. I can get through this stressful day at work. hundred percent. And and that's a huge reason why I wanted to do alone. Like I think from pushing yourself, you learn to be stronger and you get more grit and then you can take that into all other aspects of your life. With all of the kind of modern gear, a lot of, you know, camping and hiking that people do, we, I know in our audience there are a lot of solo hikers do you think that means they're ready for a loan or are there quite a few things that they would still need to, to be doing? I mean, look, I'd encourage anyone to do it. If, if you get the experience, then do it. Like it was life-changing, to be honest, all like bits and bobs aside. To sit out there on your own and really push your boundaries is an amazing experience. And to be able to do it in sort of a safe way, you know, that they've got like safety teams if something did go wrong is is another amazing thing. You know, like obviously you just got to polish up, work out where your weaknesses are because I I don't think anyone's, you know, the perfect solo adventurer and can just sit there for forever. Like for me, I think technically with solo hiking, there's a goal. Every day you move to this campsite, you move to that campsite, you move to this. And I think I found that quite challenging. I have to stay here. (laughs) I have no task. I also felt quite vulnerable leaving my home because, you know, normally hiking you've got everything with you and you're – I know if anything happens, I just chuck my tent up and and wait for help. But I felt very vulnerable leaving my tent. And then finally, like the the mental aspect of this sudden void of input was just incredible. You know, in this world where there's internet and jobs and we're busy, 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 it's crazy to just sit there on your own for a a while. (laughs) Yeah, the, the show's so aptly named in the end, isn't it? 100%. 100%. And a lot of people I've seen in previous seasons pull out not because because of the mental side. They can't hack that. So yeah. I guess you're then, solo hacking. That's what makes it so interesting, really. Like, you know, like in some seasons there's been, say, a dude who's like a wilderness survival instructor and he knows everything and he can do everything, but he's just like, this, this isn't for me. I don't like being alone. I'm a pack animal. And all respect to that. I think that's – I'd probably struggle with all aspects, but I think that part would, would particularly be difficult. I've – actually never done a solo adventure just because I always end up dragging someone along. Yeah, and, and that's beautiful too, you know. Like I love hiking with friends. It's so much fun. It's a very different thing. Well, that uh, that wraps up my questions. Was there anything else that you reckon I should be asking? Or <laughs> No, I think that's that's pretty good, I think. Yeah, it's just a pretty cool experience. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very excited to watch the show, which you can watch Alone Australia at 7.30pm Wednesdays on SBS and SBS On Demand. 
And you can follow Kate Grarock on Instagram and your YouTube channel, which is at Kate Grarock. That's it. Thank you. No worries. Thanks so much for the call. Hey guys, thanks for listening to my chat with Kate and I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. How do you think you'd go on alone? Would you crush it? Lots of chats happening over on our socials. We are explorers on Instagram and Facebook, so jump in there to get involved. Just another little reminder to like, follow, share the podcast as much as you can. Really appreciate it and it's going to help us keep doing it and talking to awesome people like Kate. You can tune in next time to catch Henry. He's chatting with a Tasmanian wilderness survival expert. Should be a ripper. Have a good one.